70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of Global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Владимир Буценко, Луховицы, Россия. Я украинец, проживающий 30 лет в России. Впервые принял вашу Hello, my name is Vladimir Kuchenko, and I've been living in Russia for 35 years. I started listening to KBS World Radio in 1982. Back then, I couldn't get a response to my reception reports because it was impossible for the Soviet Union to exchange mail with certain countries. But after about 10 years, things changed and my letters were finally read on KBS World Radio's Russian service programs. Thanks to KBS World Radio, I got to know more about Korea and fell in love with the country. I hope to stay in touch via radio for many, many years to come. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's Friday the 6th of January and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon jang The Democratic Party leader Lee Jae-myung has agreed to appear for prosecutors questioning next week in connection to a third-party bribery investigation. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. The Yun administration eased more real estate regulations this week in a bid to combat the alarming slide in house prices. We discuss what lies ahead for the market for our final New Year special in depth. And then coming up on Movie Spotlight, we review the new body swap comedy Switch, starring Kwon Sang-woo, and Glass Onion, the sequel to the hit murder mystery Knives Out. Let's begin Career 24. After a lengthy tug-of-war with prosecutors, the main opposition Democratic Party chief, Lee Jae-myung, agreed to appear for questioning next week in connection to a third-party bribery investigation involving a municipal football club. A KBS World Radio news editor, Gu Jin, joins us in the studio now to give us the latest on this summons, as well as our other headlines of the day. Lee Jin, hello. Hello, jang so the DP chair had initially mocked the probe as a political persecution and was adverse to uh, making an appearance. He then said he couldn't answer the summons due to a schedule conflict. Mm-hmm. But then after much back and forth between the prosecution, his lawyers and the DP have said that he has agreed to appear for questioning on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So what can you tell us about the decision? Well, DP spokesperson An Ho-young said on Friday that he will be undaunted in showing up for questioning at the Songnam branch of the Suwon District Prosecutor's Office at 10.30am on Tuesday. The prosecution last month sent a summons for December 28th, which the opposition chair initially rejected, citing scheduling conflicts. He had said he would later show up uh, at a later date. He then uh, faces a 
third-party bribery allegations of attracting 16 billion won in corporate donations to Songnam City's football club between 2016 and 2018 in return for administrative favours when he was serving as mayor and the de facto owner of the club. Uh, it will be E's first appearance for questioning since becoming the DP chief. He was summoned in a separate case last August related to charges of dis- uh, disclosing false facts during his presidential campaign, to which he refused to appear and only handed in a written statement. OK, so once again, he's set to appear for questioning next week, Tuesday. And we likely won't have much details from it until Wednesday, so we'll have uh, more updates then. In other news now, Interior Minister Yi Sang-min apologised in front of bereaved family members of the fatal crowd-crush tragedy in Itaewon last October. This was during the special parliamentary investigation hearing. So how did things unfold? Well, Minister Lee bowed his head in apology in front of family members during the second hearing of the Special Parliamentary Committee investigating the tragedy that claimed 159 lives. However, the minister was quick to reaffirm that he does not intend to resign, refusing opposition lawmakers calls for him to step down. Ahead of Friday's hearing, the special panel uh, decided to file a complaint against the former head of the Yongsan Emergency Hotline Situation Room, uh, Song Byung-ju, for rejecting an order to show up for its first hearing on Wednesday. Yes, and the main opposition DP unilaterally submitted a request on Friday as well, calling for an extraordinary session of the National Assembly to extend the term of the special committee. That's despite opposition from the ruling People Power Party. Yeah, indeed. All 169 DP lawmakers, including floor leader Park Hong-gun, uh, jointly made the request. Now, this means that an extraordinary session will begin on Monday, three days after the submission, in line with Assembly res- regulations. However, the PPP slammed DP's request as a ruse to protect its chair, Lee Jae-myung, from possible bribery charges, abusing a lawmaker's immunity from arrest while Parliament remains in session. Let's turn now to national security matters. South Korea's military has denied that it tried to conceal the fact that a North Korean drone had managed to breach a no-fly zone over the presidential office. The top office sprang to the military's defence as well, saying that it was unlikely that the drone took photos of the presidential office. Can you explain a bit more for us? Well, the Defence Ministry official said on Friday that the military had been uh, become aware of the possible breach of the P-73 no-fly zone over the presidential office during its investigation launched a day after the incursion. The head of the probe team informed uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Kim Seung-gyum last Sunday that one of the drones may have entered the northern fringes of the secure area. The office then conducted supplementary reviews under orders from Kim and later told JCS chief Kim that it was highly likely that the drone passed through the zone. Uh, The JCS was able to confirm on Tuesday that one of the five North Korean drones did in fact cross into its northern fringes and then briefed uh, President Yoon Song-yeol the following day. The president then ordered uh, the military to disclose the fact to the public. Now the 
latest revelation comes after the military emphatically denied uh, last week claims by opposition party members that the drone likely breached the no-fly zone. This brings into question the security of the top office. Uh, what did it have to say? Well, the presidential office downplayed the possibility that the drone took pictures of the top office. Now, speaking to KBS on Friday, a presidential office uh, official said the tr- drone took a route that was at a considerable distance from the top office uh, uh, at in, located in Yongsan district, saying that the Namsan mountain would be in the direct line of sight. The official conceded that the assumption was not completely foolproof, as they have yet to obtain the actual drone. But an analysis of its trajectory essentially rules out any possibility. Regarding disciplinary measures against the military over the breach, the official said more inspections are necessary, suggesting that punitive action is not immediately under review. Moving on, Samsung Electronics has projected a nosedive of nearly 70% for its fourth quarter operating profit. LG Electronics also disclosed its fourth quarter operating profit, plummeting more than 91% from a year earlier. So, Hijin, can you break down these uh, grim-looking figures for us? Well, Samsung Electronics gave its earnings guidance on Friday that showed its operating profit came to 4.3 trillion won or around 3.4 billion US dollars in the October to December period, a 69% drop over last year and 60.7% from last quarter. It marks the first time Samsung reported a quarterly operating profit of less than 5 trillion won since the third quarter of 2014 when it posted 4.06 trillion won. Sales will likely reach 70 trillion won for the quarter, down 8.58% on year. The company cited its dismal figures to weak demand for memory chips and smartphones amid high prices and rising interest rates. Its rival, LG Electronics, also unveiled its operating profit for the cited period, uh, which will reach 65.5 billion won or about 51.5 million. US dollars for uh, a 91.2% on year nosedive. The figure is also 79.5% lower than the market estimate tallied in a survey by Yonhap Infomax, the financial data arm of Yonhap News Agency. Meanwhile, Samsung and LG are some of the Korean companies attending the Consumer Electronics Show, or CES, that kicked off in Las Vegas on Thursday. What have they unveiled so far? Well, a total of 550 South Korean companies are participating in the world's largest trade show for information technology and consumer electronics, including Samsung Electronics and LG Electronics, HD Hyundai and SK Group. They are among some 3,100 companies from 174 countries showing off their latest high-tech gadgets. Samsung Electronics unveiled its SmartThings station that will be able to connect with a range of smart home appliances. LG showed off the world's first wireless consumer TV, the LG Signature OLED MTV. HD Hyundai, South Korea's largest shipbuilder, unveiled its ocean transformation vision for a sustainable future, including future 
automated ships running on green technologies. A record 100,000-odd visitors are set to check out the world's largest tech fair following last year's show that was scaled down and shortened to three days due to a spike in the Omicron variant of the COVID-19. And on that note, uh, new daily COVID-19 cases in South Korea came in at around 56,000 on Friday as imported cases hit the highest mark in three months. Can you break down the latest figures for us? Yes, the Korea Disease Control and Prevention Agency said on Friday that 56,994 Uh, 954 infections were reported through Thursday, bringing the country's cumulative caseload to some 29,420,000. The number of imported cases rose by 64 from a day earlier to 258, a sevenfold increase from Monday. Positive cases from overseas surpassed 200 for the first time in about three months since October 2nd of last year. The number of cases from China stood at 208 to account for about 80% of the daily imported total. And starting Saturday, travellers from Hong Kong and Macau will be required to present a negative COVID-19 test result before embarking for South Korea. The regulation is already in place for arrivals from China. That's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. South Korea's real estate market cooled at an alarming pace last year. Last week, the land ministry revealed that the number of housing transactions up to November last year had halved from the previous year. In an effort to slow down the drop, the UN administration has been easing real estate regulations, including removing most of Seoul from the government's so-called speculative area list this week. However, with high interest rates remaining and economic uncertainties ahead, the real estate market is set to continue to face challenges. In our final in-depth news analysis New Year series, looking ahead to what 2023 will bring for Korea, we look at the real estate situation now and to help us better understand it, we have joining us on the line Professor Chun Jae-sik from Gongguk University. Professor, hello and thank you for your time today. Hello, thanks for having me. For our listeners, could you walk us through the current state of the real estate market in Korea? During the Moon administration, house prices soared to new heights, but it's been a very different story over the last year. Uh, Yes, we've seen a huge increase in home prices over the past couple of years due to low interest rates and high liquidity uh, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, This effect began to fade out last spring as the interest rate go up. Uh, Since then, with two big steps of interest rates, uh, home prices are falling very quickly. Uh, The rapid decrease in housing prices tends to be attributable to high interest rates and low liquidity this time. So um, because home prices are expected expected to keep going down, the market price is likely to be uh, driven by the bid price, which is the highest price a buyer is willing to pay rather than by the asking price, uh, which is the lowest price a seller is willing to sell, uh, where the bid price is almost always lower than the asking price. 
Right. So high interest rates and low liquidity, uh, those are the main factors then that have led to this uh, doldrums in the real estate market. Right. Uh, the total transaction volume, uh, according to that, is likely to shrink uh, when the price begins to go down um, while the interest rates go up. Uh, so they need uh, falling home prices. It is kind of natural that people are reluctant to buy houses. So uh, this kind of trend is not new. Uh, we already saw a similar trend back in 2010, uh, which was the beginning of the housing recession due to the subprime mortgage crisis. Uh, although there were a few ups and downs, it took uh, more than three years for the market to fully recover uh, from the downturn back then. So uh, many people kind of forecast this type of uh, trend may be uh, uh, duplicated again. Right. So you're saying we have seen this before in 2010. How concerning is this situation then? Right. Um, it's it's hard to tell uh, whether the situation is worse than that, uh, worse than the subprime mortgage or not. But uh, it's definitely true that the market price would not go up or be stabilized um, just because a majority of big borrowers uh, hold on to their properties uh, and don't sell. Uh, the market would turn around if the global economy is stabilized, or at least there is a belief that the economy will be stabilized soon. Uh, so far, uh, there's no signal that this will happen uh, very soon. Uh, whether the economy is at risk of recession, uh, again, because of high interest rates and low liquidity. Uh, and this will remain or even get worse uh, because it is likely that the U.S. Fed raise its benchmark interest rates again soon. Um, this trend uh, is, likely to be, uh, is likely to continue in that sense. Right, no signal yet that things uh, could turn around. Uh, on Wednesday, the land minister, Won Hee-ryong, said that the government's recent policies are aimed at slowing the speed and the intensity for the fall in the house prices. But ultimately, he said the country's real estate prices are still abnormally high and above the level that people can afford. Do you agree with that, that the house prices are too high? And also, do you agree that it's the uh, pace and intensity of the fall that is concerning? Yes, I, I kind of agree with that uh, statement, too. Uh, the price level is still very high. Uh, if you look at the housing price index published by the Korea Real Estate Board, as of November 2022, the apartment sales price index is uh, 101.1, which is approximately 16% higher compared to the pre-pandemic level measured in January 2020. Uh, the pace of the fall is fast, too, but it is, it is kind of similar to or less severe than the pace of the rising prices uh, we experienced between uh, 2020 and 2021. For example, like the price decreased by 5% last year between February and November, uh, while the price increased by 7% in 2021 between uh, February and November, the uh, same time uh, around. So although the price is falling, uh, the more uh, problematic here, uh, more problem here is that although the price is falling, uh, however, the purchasing power is getting worse uh, as the interest rate goes up. Uh, according to the Housing Affordability Index, uh, during the same time period, 
when where uh, when the price decreased by five percent last year, um, the the affordability index becomes worse, uh, which means housing cost burden increased by five percent and not decreased. So this is a big issue that we have in our market currently. Mm. Even though price is falling, the ability to buy a house is not getting better, or rather, it's getting worse. Right. So the government has taken response measures. Uh, the latest came into effect this week. Uh, the government eased real estate regulations by removing all areas of Seoul except four districts from its speculative areas list. The four remaining districts are Seocho, Gangnam, Songpa and Yongsan, and they face stricter mortgage rules and heavier taxes by being under this speculative areas list. Uh, the rule that requires home buyers to reside from two to five years in the houses uh, subject to the price cap system the capital region has also been scrapped. Uh, what's mm-hmm. your assessment of the government's moves? Um, before uh, including this one, uh, the administration already announced various deregulations de- kind of that reversed the policies that the previous administration tried. Um, the, the fast decrease in prices can be as dangerous as the fast increase in prices. So in this sense, the goal of such deregulation policies at this point would be to slow down the speed of price decline and stabilize the market. Uh, despite such efforts, I don't think uh, many people want to buy a home uh, first with high interest rates and falling prices. Uh, the relaxed loan-to-value ratio, uh, LTV, wouldn't relieve significantly much of the housing court's burden, as we uh, saw uh, in, uh, in the statistics before. And more importantly, even though uh, you can afford the enormous amount of principal and interest, you still have to meet the uh, debt service ratio, DSR requirement, uh, which makes the relaxed LTB kind of ineffective. Uh, So for these reasons, I think the transaction cliff that we have is likely to be uh, continued. Right. So uh, despite the government's policies, uh, you you think that uh, they might still not be enough to stabilize the market. With all that in mind, then, what's your outlook on South Korea's real estate market this year? Is there further room uh, for the house prices to fall? But can it still be controlled by the government? Uh, right. Uh, you know, no, nobody knows what would come next, but it seems the current downturn may persist or even become worse, at least for the next couple of months. Uh, the interest rate is still high, the inflation level is still high, and the liquidity of financial market is low. Uh, as a result, uh, global economic uncertainty is rising. I think um, at least by the end of the first half of this year, uh, housing sales prices and rental prices both are likely to continue to decrease despite the government's uh, deregulation efforts. Uh, therefore, the recession must be addressed first to stabilize the real estate market. Uh, if you look at the supply side or the industry uh, that we have now, an increasing refinancing cost of real estate development projects uh, has affected the market downturn. So um, once these difficulties uh, are resolved and the economy gets back on track, the real estate market will recover as well. Right, so that would be your message to uh, government authorities then, that uh, it's not exactly the real estate market, but it's uh, uh, other areas of the economy that needs to be addressed first. Yes. Um, 
around this time, there's not much that uh, the government can do. Um, they, they must focus on overall economic growth and take care of key fundamentals that concern growth the most. Uh, when it comes to housing or real estate, I think we should pay more attention to those who cannot afford housing through the market uh, because the ability to uh, purchase or rent a unit uh, becomes more uh, um, hard. So low-income families, uh, young people, uh, single-person households, or newly married couples, uh, these are the ones that uh, need more support for residential stability. stability. So I, I think the government should uh, subsidize more on those people uh, to sustain their uh, residential uh, status uh, throughout the uh, cold seasons. Well, it seems an anxious year awaits again for the real estate market. Uh, we'll have to leave it there. We've been speaking to Professor Chun Jae-sik from Kangook University. Thank you for your analysis today. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 25.32 points, or 1.12% on Friday, closing the week at 2,289.97. The tech-heavy KOSDAQ also rose, gaining 9.02 points, or 1.33%, to close the day at 688.94. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 0.81 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,268.61. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to Korea Trending, our daily segment looking at some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have Walter Lee joining us once again. Walter, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Jango. It's always good to see you. Let's jump straight into our story today. And we start with an update of a major story from last year. Can you tell us more? Yes. So there has been a controversy over the compensation that South Korea's tech giant Kakao began handing out on Thursday for a disruption in services caused by a data center fire last year. Now, as a token of the company's apology, the compensation was provided to all domestic users of the nation's most popular mobile messaging messenger service. Now, if you remember, a fire broke out at one of the tech giant's data centers last October, which caused a blackout for many Kakao services. As a result, Kakao Talk and other related services experienced massive disruptions affecting nearly all sectors of South Korea, ranging from social networking and business to finance and transportation. Yes, the fact that one fire at one data center caused so much disruption was, of course, very controversial. It was a huge disruption to people's lives in Korea. And some services took days to fully recover as well. So how had the company offered to compensate the public for uh, their disruptions? Well, the compensation comes in the form of three emoji packages for Talk Messenger users, which were sent out on Thursday. Now, of the three emoji packages, only one is permanently free, while the other two are valid for for use for around 90 days. Now, additionally, the company offered vouchers giving users one month's free access to its 
Talk Drawer Plus data backup service. This is being provided for the first 3 million applicants on the first-come, first-served basis, but these vouchers received a lot of flack from users. Right, it's this later compensation offer that has caused the greatest controversy. Can you tell us why? Yeah, so the tr- the Talk Drawer Plus voucher expires after one month, at which point users will automatically be charged for the subscription fee. In other words, a user needs to cancel the subscription before the expiration date to prevent the automatic renewal. Some people pointed out that the vouchers are actually a form of marketing used for the purpose of attracting new customers rather than serving as compensation. So in a response to the criticism, an official from the company explained that they will send notification messages to the recipients of the vouchers to ensure that these users are reminded to cancel the subscription and avoid the charge. Uh, The official offered an apology to overseas users who were excluded from the compensation, adding that it was inevitable as the company's services are based in Korea. Right, you can understand the backlash. It's just a free trial of a service, something that uh, many companies do anyway as a way to promote their uh, product or services. It just feels like they're trying to do the bare minimum, which Mm. has irked people, I think, and it seems to be sending out the wrong message. Right. Okay, let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? Yeah, so it seems resale ticket prices for Blackpink's concert in Hong Kong have been skyrocketing ahead of their concert set for later this month. Now, the group will hold three concerts in Hong Kong from January 13th to 15th at Asia World Arena as part of the group's world tour that started last October. Tickets for these performances were all snapped up within two hours when they went on sale in November 2022. Since then, resale tickets have been traded at high prices online. Yes, I hear that some prices have soared to as much as eight times the original price. With three years of pandemic-induced shutdowns and rumours that travel between China and Hong Kong will be fully resumed on January 8th, the price of resale tickets is known to be have soared, like you said, up to eight times. Now, for example, Xiaonyu, which is the second-hand goods trading platform on Chinese e-commerce site Taobao, sellers are charging anywhere from two to eight times the regular price for resale tickets. So how much are we actually talking about? How much are the resale tickets going for? Okay, so currently the ticket price for the concert, which originally cost 799 Hong Kong dollars, which is around 102 US dollars, is currently set at around 300 US dollars. Another seller is asking for over 3,000 US dollars for a VIP ticket, which is more than eight times the regular price. The regular price for a VIP ticket was around 380 US dollars. Yes, extortionate uh, ticket reselling, particularly by scalps, is an issue that has uh, been increasingly under the spotlight uh, with the uh, Taylor Swift concert tickets last year, of course. And even in the classical music scene, we've uh, talked about on the show before this issue with uh, the pianist Im Yun Chan's concerts in Korea. No real solution seems to be in sight at the moment. In the meantime, it looks like uh, Blackpink's fans are the latest to suffer from Mm. this situation. Okay, let's uh, move on to our final trending story. What else are we looking at today? Yes, an elementary school in Wando County, South Jolla Province, is in the spotlight for its unique scholarship program. Now, Huahung Elementary School has been awarding young calves to serve as individual scholarship funds to its graduating students for more than 40 years. Now, on January 4th, the school awarded a seven-month heifer calf each to two students graduating the school ahead of the school's graduation ceremony on January 6th. Right, so two calves being awarded to two uh, graduating students. Mm. What's also remarkable about this story is the number of students uh, that are graduating from this school this year in total. 
Right. So as a small regional school, there are only three students graduating from the school this year. Now, of the three, two were awarded the scholarship. One student was unfortunately excluded from the award as they had transferred to a school not long ago. Although the school had as many as 400 students in the past, there are only currently 39 Yes, so this story is also a rather sad one about how rural schools in Korea have been losing students over the years. Mm. Uh, going back to the calves, though, you mentioned that this scholarship tradition has quite a long history, right? Can you give us more details? Yeah, so the school's tradition of awarding graduating students with calves began in 1976. Now, graduates of the Hwahung Elementary School set up a scholarship society to nurture future talent. The scholarship agreement includes conditions that state recipients must earn a high school diploma or above. It also requires them to give back to future graduating students by donating a calf after three years. Now, this is how the scholarship program has been maintained for the past 47 years. Although the operating committee is facing trouble procuring enough calves for next year's graduates, the committee has vowed to hold fundraisers and continue the program for as long as the school remains open. Yes, I do believe it now that the cars are simply sold rather than raised by the student or their families. But uh, I guess it is still a rather fun uh, tradition that is continuing. OK, we'll wrap it up there for today's Career Trending. Thank you for those stories, Walter, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Next up, it's our weekly film segment, Movie Spotlight, reviewing some of the latest releases at the Korean box office and online. And giving their considered thoughts, as always, on the releases are our film critics. To my right, we have Jason Beshevais. Jason, hello. Hello, Jango. Yes, and Happy New Year as happy well. Happy New Year. And to my left, we have Darcy Paquette with us as well. Darcy, hello, and Happy New Year to you too. Hi, thank you. <laughs> happy New Year. Okay, so to kickstart the year, we have a local release and an international one to look at today. Starting off with the local release, it's a body swap comedy called Switch. It has the same title in Korean as well. It stars Kwon Sang-woo in the lead role. And it's about a famous actor who unexpectedly gets to live out an alternative life path. The film opened at number five at the box office this week. So, Darcy, there. Seems to be almost a Dickensian Christmas Carol sort of vibe to this film. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, definitely. I think under normal circumstances, I think they would have wanted to release this closer to Christmas. Uh, but I think, I'm guessing a little movie called Avatar had something to do with <laughs> right. that. But, I mean, it centers on an actor named Pak Kang. It's played by Kwon sang And he's very successful. He's rocketed to the top of an industry uh, with you know some very successful roles. He... At the start of the film, we see him collecting these awards and involved in various scandals and uh, and also generally behaving quite badly. Um, he has a manager who's played by Oh Jung-se, and the manager is a former actor himself, as well as Pak Kang's best friend. And they go out drinking on Christmas Eve, and you know they talk a bit about Pak Kang's former girlfriend, who's played by Lee Min-jung, uh, who he broke up with in order to concentrate on acting. Uh, and so on the way home, uh, this actor gets into a rather unusual-looking taxi, and you get some odd music coming over the soundtrack. And the taxi driver, is rather odd, keeps asking him if he's happy with his life. And the taxi driver promises him a special kind of present. 
And then when he wakes up the next morning, he discovers that he's no longer a famous actor, that he's married to his former girlfriend, he has two kids, and he's back to being a poor and unknown actor. Right, so uh, it's not exactly a body swap, I guess, uh, but it is a, a life swap as such, perhaps somewhere in between a body swap comedy and uh, the film Trading Places, something like that. Uh, Jason, this movie is directed by uh, Made Yun. Can you tell us a bit more about him? Yeah, he's had quite a bit of experience as a screenwriter, though mostly as a script doctor on films like The, the Phone, The Last Princess, The Accidental Detective, and his directorial debut was with the family comedy My Little Brother, Kuregadok, from 2016, which didn't really take off in any big way, but had got some decent ratings uh, among netizens. Um, and this is his second, you know, sophomore feature, and the first one based on his own original screenplay. The original title was A Christmas Present, which, uh, and it was shot during the middle of the pandemic, so challenging time indeed. Right, so Darcy, it's not perhaps an entirely original idea, but nonetheless, it could be quite fun. What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. <laughs> I think that, and that's kind of what, that's kind of the Korean film industry's bread and butter these days, is yeah. taking a very familiar type of concept and story, and then, but doing it fairly well. And, you know, I did, I did enjoy the film. I, I went to see it with my teenage son, and he liked it as well, that... Uh, it has a lot of funny moments. It has good acting, uh, I think. You know, Kwon Sang-woo is an actor who's gone back and forth between kind of these tough guy roles. You know, he has he's famous kind of for his body, but but he's also played romantic roles throughout his career, and he's he's decent in this. Uh, oh Jung-se is really great, and yeah. there is a bit of a swap in that sense because you know Oh Jung-se becomes the famous actor in this alternate life. And yeah, bringing bringing back memories from how to use guys with secret tips. For those yeah, who've seen yeah. that, <laughs> direct by one talk. Yeah, and then um, and then there's Imin Jung, who I haven't seen she's on great. screen for a long time. Yeah, you know, great. she um, has been. She appeared in quite a few romantic comedies earlier in his career. In her career, she married Lee Byung Han, who <laughs> is mentioned in the film in kind of a funny way. Um, but but yeah, I just the chemistry works, and I I liked it. Okay, and Jason, what about you? Did you enjoy it as well? Yeah, I mean, it's not a film I'd rave about. Um, you know, clearly it's kind of manufactured. Uh, it's, it's got a, it's got an audience in mind. But, you know, you can't help but, you know, just be kind of enamored by its charm. And uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, no, the performances are terrific. I really like Yimin Jung. Uh, interesting kind of uh, dynamics in terms of gender as well that I quite liked in the film. Um, and yeah, it's one of those films that just kind of, you know, you go in, you might feel a little bit depressed or not in the best mood. You come out feeling actually kind of, kind of happy. Mm. Uh, and so, um, as soon as like, I, I had to dash out of the screening, but uh, I was thinking, okay, this is going to be pretty popular with audiences and kind of checking the netizen scores. And, and surprisingly, you know, it was really quite high. Mm. Uh, it is a film that you could watch at home though. It's not cinematic in any way. Right. So I do wonder whether it will play pretty well on, on streaming services as opposed to, you know, in cinemas. But yeah, it's certainly one to watch. It was a bit weird in terms of the timing. It's kind of had Christmas in the back in its set during Christmas. <laughs> but like Darcy said, you know, something called Avatar might have derailed their plans. <laughs> yes, that small film, as uh, Darcy said, yes. And Kwon sang he does seem to enjoy playing comedy roles as well. Yeah, I think he's I think he's good at it. I mean there there are moments towards the end of the film in particular where 
Uh, I think another actor would have kind of over-emoted in certain scenes and tried to be funnier, tried to, you know, be more kind of moving and in these particular scenes. And he just kind of lets it happen. And so I, I like that aspect of it. And uh, he, he worked well with the other actors as well. Okay, yeah. so that was Switch, and it's out now in Korean cinemas. Our second film of the week is a major Netflix release, Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. It is, of course, the sequel to Knives Out, the hugely successful and popular whodunit from 2019. Uh, it premiered at the Toronto Film Festival and enjoyed a brief theatrical run in North America, but in Korea, it's uh, only being shown on Netflix. So, Jason, can you tell us... More about this series of films. Yeah, clearly anyone familiar with Agatha Christie, uh, you know, will, will certainly be able to see the, you know, similarities or the influences. Uh, certainly, there is the vibe to the original film, uh, which centred on uh, a very famous writer and his greedy family in contemporary uh, Massachusetts. Uh, and in particular, that in that film is introduced the character of Benoit Blanc, who played wonderfully with a really weird accent. Uh, <laughs> it's by, a weird accent. Yeah, by, by Daniel Craig. You know, he's 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 yeah, private detective, kind of like Poirot, but from the southern U.S. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's he yeah. It's, He's a really fascinating character that Daniel Craig is just absolutely brilliant at playing. And um, so the cast there is headed by Ana de Armas uh, and Made Knives Out was one of the most popular films uh, based on an original screenplay. So, but, you know, you have to bear in mind that Hollywood is so kind of reliant on, um, you know, franchises, sequels. And this is something that really stood out. And Daniel, it's like Ryan Johnson, uh, you know, he's clearly a very talented script writer. He likes working with these actors and they seem to have a great time on set, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they've brought now with the sequel, it's completely new setting in, uh, in Europe uh, during the pandemic and lots of references to, well, I say lots, but a few references at the beginning to the pandemic. So yeah, set in Greece and, uh, you know, another murder mystery and, uh, uh, Ryan Johnson certainly likes to kind of turn things on it on its head, and he does that in his film. So it is kind of a bit of Agatha Christie in there, but mm. it also feels very original. Right. So the only real connection to the first film is Daniel Craig's uh, Benoit Blanc. So Darcy, can you give us an overview of the plot of this film, but of course without giving too many details away? I'll try. <laughs> the, the film, it opens with invitations being sent out to this select group of people uh, for what they're referring to as a murder mystery party, which is going to take place on this private island in, Greek, in Greece over several days. Uh, I mean, the invitations themselves are quite creative and that you know provides a setup for one of the funniest <laughs> moments in the film, I think. Uh, but the host of this party is a billionaire tech guru named Miles Braun, uh, played by Edward Norton. And, you know, the guests are a really colorful group, and it includes, like, the governor of Connecticut. There's this fashion designer who kind of can't keep her mouth under control. There's this men's rights uh, YouTuber. And and then unexpectedly, another person who's invited is the, the estranged co-founder of the company that made Miles into a billionaire. Mm. And, you know, there's since been court cases, and everyone is aware that they kind of hate each other, but, you know, here she is at this party. And then somehow Benoit Blanc has ended up being invited as well, although nobody's quite sure how that happened. So, um, yeah, I mean, you have a, a remote setting, you have a lot of people who hate each other, and then a lot of money involved, and then 
uh, Benoit Blanc is kind of poised perfectly to step in when uh, a real murder does take place. Right. So, Jason, uh, it seems from your description earlier of the series, you rather enjoy this. Oh, I love these films. They're terrific. Uh, you know, it's a breath of fresh air into the industry. Uh, Ryan Johnson, he, he, uh, he's so witty throughout, you know, in his scripts. And uh, yeah, no, the visuals are terrific. Although if I'm going to compare them both, I, I, I like the visuals more in the first film, but I think the screenplay is better in the second. It's not to say that the, the first film uh, doesn't have a great screenplay, because it does, but mm. I think he kind of ups his game. Um, and yeah, I just had a real blast. You know, you got the kind of Elon Musk character at the center of the story. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, they, they just all seem to be having a great time making this film. As great ensemble cast. It's, it's kind of, you, you think it's predictable actually, but by the second half of the film, it's like, oh, oh my goodness, this is where it's going. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it plays around with your mind quite a bit. And uh, lots to enjoy in this film the only criticism i have is that this is a film that should be seen no must be seen on a big screen and with a crowd because mm. if you're just watching it at home on your computer or on tv you just lose something i don't mm. know if darcy agrees with me on that but uh, I, I, I watched it before it was released and i was like oh my goodness i really want to see this you know with a group of people because it's that collective experience it adds something and you lose that when you're watching on netflix right uh, darcy what about you did you enjoy it as well I did really enjoy it. I'm a big fan of the original. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. It's sort of, I mean, comparing the two, I think some people will like the second, some people will like the first. Uh, I did really enjoy the first, and I've seen it several times, and I, I love Anna de Armas's character. And, um, and so this one, it, yeah, it does kind of move in a very different direction, and it's very fresh in that sense and unexpected. Uh, and I... Yeah, I look forward to rewatching it in the future because it has a lot of interesting details that you may not catch with the first screening. Yeah. Um, but I totally agree about the, the big screen experience. Yeah, so if you do watch it, watch as a family. Yeah, right. Yeah, at home. That's, so that's in, the next best thing, right? <laughs> enjoy all the twists and turns, the yeah. laughs together, basically. And there is, of course, uh, at least one more sequel to come after a Netflix bid, an extraordinary amount for the rights of the film. 450 yeah. oh, million it's, it's US dollars. Cr- that's yeah. crazy. For this uh, and the next film, yeah. But they, they know that, you know, this is going to be incredibly popular for the service. It'll, it'll drive, help drive subscriptions. Okay, we'll wrap it up there. Jason, Darcy, thank you as always for your reviews and. We'll catch up with you again next time. Okay, have a great weekend. Take care. Bye-bye. We wrap up the week here on Career24 by looking ahead to what's happening next week in our segment Next Week from Hull. Our staff editor Richard is taking a day off, so we have Emma Sparks joining us in the studio instead today. Emma, hello, it's uh, great to see you again. Hello, good to see you too. Yes, and Happy New Year as well. Okay, so what's what's the first thing uh, we should look out for next week? Uh, The government plans to hold a public debate next Thursday on the issue of compensation for victims of Japan's wartime forced labour. The move comes as the government seeks to resolve what has been one of the biggest obstacles in efforts to improve Seoul-Tokyo relations. Seoul is likely to reveal a concrete proposal addressing this contentious issue of compensation during the debate.
The foreign ministry has been considering the idea of raising funds from South Korean companies that benefited from the 1965 treaty, normalizing bilateral ties as well as Japanese companies, and then donating the funds as compensation to victims via the Foundation for Victims of Forced Mobilization by Imperial Japan. Tokyo's stance hasn't been revealed to the public, and Korea's foreign ministry is also remaining quiet on the details of the negotiations. Right, this has been long awaited, and we will finally get an official proposal from the UN government. Uh, it remains to be seen whether the victims themselves and their families will be receptive, as well as Tokyo. And uh, if the families aren't receptive, then it could get quite stormy. So that's to look out for next Thursday. Okay, what else is happening next week? Uh, Yi Chang-yong, the head of the Bank of Korea, will attend meetings of the Bank for International Settlements to be held in Switzerland early next week. Yi will live, leave for Basel on Saturday for the meetings that will be held from Sunday to Monday. According to the Bank of Korea, participants will discuss the latest global economic and financial market conditions. Yi is to rehearse return home Wednesday and will attend the first of eight planned monetary policy direction-setting meetings to determine interest rates. The Monetary Policy Board will convene next Friday for the meeting. Yes, that's going to be a key meeting. The BOK is still expected to raise the key rate by another 25 basis points uh, to continue the fight against inflation and to keep pace with the US's rate as well. Uh, that announcement is coming next Friday, as you said, Emma. OK, finally, let's uh, look at one more. What else do we need to look out for? Uh, the final news item we have is from the world of K-pop. Uh, Big Bang member Taeyang is about to make a comeback with the release of a new song with Jimin from BTS. Taeyang's new management, the Black Label, announced on Wednesday that the new digital single Vibe will be released next Friday at 2pm. His last solo act was in 2017 with his third studio album, White Knight. As for BTS, this is just one of many solo ventures for the group's members since it was announced last June that BTS would go on a temporary hiatus from full group activities. Right, so artists from two K-pop generations yes. teaming up. It sounds like that could be quite something. Uh, that drops next Friday as well. And that's all for next week from Seoul. Emma, thank you for that roundup. Thank and you. we'll hopefully see you again soon. Bye. And that brings our show to a close for the first week of 2023. We'll return on Monday to continue to bring you more news, views and reviews from Korea. Till then, we hope you have a wonderful weekend. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye.